Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Last gasp. That's the nothing personal word of the day. It's Friday, January 5th, 2024. Last gasp. We hear a lot of apologies. The apology tour that people go on when they do something wrong and then they've got to meet with constituencies to try to make it all right and then say, oh, I've seen the light. Trevor Bauer, a name who we have not talked about in plenty long, and I wish that we could have gone longer, but I couldn't resist when I read that Trevor Bauer had given an interview and he was on Fox News' America's Newsroom, and I was just expecting the normal drivel out of his mouth where he goes through a laundry list of things that he has not done and all of the ways he's been wronged and the way that baseball is screwing him and everybody else. It's everybody else's fault, not his. But then I was listening and thinking and reading, and is it possible that Trevor Bauer is finally listening to his advisors and his advisors are not named Rachel Luba? Is it possible that someone sat him down and said, listen, Trev, I'm not sure that you're ever gonna play Major League Baseball again, but that said, why don't we try something better? Why don't we see if we can be a little contrite. Why don't we try the following? Why don't we say that we understand that my actions are wrong? I understand that I've been reckless. I understand that I've hurt people. I understand that I've compromised teammates and family and friends and leagues. Why don't we take that out for a walk and see what happens? What is the object of Trevor Bauer's last gasp, he wants to play Major League Baseball again. And it is now January 5th. Pitchers and catchers report on February 15th, round number. He has to decide whether he's gonna play for a Japanese team again. He has to decide where his money is going to come from. So this is the last gasp for many free agents. The upper free agents in baseball, like the Blake Snells, the Jordan Montgomery's, the Cody Bellingers, they will get deals. For mid-level and lower-level free agents, you're waiting and you're not frantic right now because you know going into spring training that even if you're not signed, there's still time before the season starts. Trevor Bauer is not in any of those positions because he's not a low-level, mid-level, or high-level free agent. As he so eloquently put, he's one of the best pitchers in the world, according to him. So one of the best pitchers in the world who can't get signed. What can he change in order to change the mind of a front office? So I was sitting there thinking as a front office, what would I need him to say? And how would it seem? 
And how would I explain to my fan base? And how would I explain to the commissioner? Is it enough for him to say, I know I've made mistakes? No. Is it enough for him to say, how do I get better from the experiences that I've had? I've made mistakes in my personal life, but I'm detail oriented when it comes to baseball and my training. And I didn't apply that scrutiny to my personal life. All right, that's an interesting tack that they're taking, saying that he is so good at baseball. He is so prepared to be a great pitcher. And he's so concerned with what he puts in his body and his regimen. But when it comes to women who he wants to sleep with or things that he wants to do off the field, he says he didn't have the same level of scrutiny. I was trying to figure out what that meant. Is level of scrutiny, is that discretion? Is that when you slide into someone DMs and you try to make sure who you're sliding into before you start the sliding? Do you do a background check? Do you have your people research the person? When a woman approaches a player, and I have experience with this, so I wanted to talk about it without, I'm not divulging any confidences, other than to tell you that there are many players who do many things with many different women during the course of a season in many different cities. And conversations that I would have with players center around what is the object of your game? Are you trying to find a wife? Are you trying to have a girlfriend? Are you trying to have sex? What are you trying to have companionship? I would always ask players to think about what they were doing before they did it because then it would help inform how they would communicate to the person they're with. Because forgetting violence, and I wanna be clear, when there's sexual assault, there's no amount of conversation you can have with a woman. There is no amount of consent that can be given to be sexually assaulted. There is nothing that ever can be done where a man can say, okay, sexual assault is okay. It works and I can do it. But when it comes to spending time with someone who you don't know, and you are a professional athlete, trying to figure out the best way to do it can be difficult. And so one of the things we ask players to do is to get help, help from a teammate, help from an agent, help from a front office, just another set of eyes, another set of ears, another perspective when you're meeting someone, because we don't want the players to get in trouble. And when I say get in trouble, what I mean is we don't want someone, and it doesn't matter if it's a man or a woman, it doesn't matter. So this is not a, a sexual preference issue. This is a, what is stopping a player from performing at the highest level and not getting in trouble? And the answer is number one, number two, number three, number four, number five is consent. That is the number one most important thing. But the concept is intent and players have different intents at different times. Trevor Bauer is trying to convince you that he did not properly examine both his intent and also the intent of the women he was with. The problem I have with that, that would be the same thing as Deshaun Watson saying after 40 massages or 60 massages or 10 massages saying, hey, I have no idea why this keeps happening because I go into massages with the intent of having my hamstring worked on. At some point, that's not flying anymore. And teams know this and front offices know this. 
notwithstanding the Haslam's not caring, they still knew. The reason why Trevor Bauer has not been able to find a team is not only has it been suggested that he not be a part of any team, and I'm not saying that there is collusion. I'm not saying that there is anything nefarious going on. I'm saying it's very clear to all teams that Trevor Bauer in Major League Baseball is not what Major League Baseball wants. Given that lack of desire on behalf of Major League Baseball and its teams, and Trevor Bauer knowing this, his only possible path, which is certain to fail, but the only possible path is the path of contrition. So then teams look at what he is saying, how he is saying it, because then they have to come up with another reason why they're not willing to engage with him. Before this contrition, before this interview, it was very easy for a team to say, it's just not worth it. Whatever talent level your client has, we cannot take the microphone at a press conference and announce his signing, our teammates, our players don't want him, our fans don't want him, our sponsors don't want him. There is no scenario under which that the equation ever leans toward the side of signing him because there's an absence of anything out of his mouth other than absolute spewing of idiocy. So then when informed and convinced to go this direction, now as a front office, I have to say to myself, I have a few directions I can go, but I've lost one of them. We don't have payroll capacity. His demands are too high. You can always say that about a player. So that's one. Two, we don't have a fit. The problem is when you're a starting pitcher, there is not one team who doesn't have a fit for a starting pitcher. You can say that for an outfielder, you can say it for a second baseman. The Red Sox did it when they, the Braves did it when they traded Vaughn Grissom. There, there are many, many positions where you can say, oh, we're good at closer, but then I would argue, make him an eighth inning guy. Starting pitching is an example where you can't give the excuse, no, no need. All right, next, three roster spot. That's always a great one that the union and the league fight about because roster spots are at the complete discretion of the front office. It is totally up to me who I want to be on my 40 man roster. And it doesn't matter what Baseball America says. It doesn't matter what the union scouts say or MLB scouts. It doesn't matter what other teams say. I do my 40-man roster according to my view of roster management and my projection of players who have not yet made the big leagues, and then my projections of players who can pass through waivers. Passing through waivers is what you have to do when you take someone off your 40-man roster in order to keep him. So you can't ever have an argument. There is no grievance that can be won, hey, this player should be on your 40-man roster. In addition, the union can never argue in a grievance, hey, the reason why this player was not signed is collusion. And the reason we know that is these 10 teams had spots on their 40-man roster and it needed starting pitching. No, can't be argued. So one thing that a team could now say is, hey, we don't have space for him because we don't want to have Trevor Bauer as good as he may be. We're not willing to take the chance of removing someone from our roster. So that's three. The fourth thing that a front office can do is they can say that we don't value him 
as a starting pitcher or as a teammate, according to the value that he has put upon himself, therefore we've decided to pass. And all of these things that we're mentioning rise above the level of any possible scrutiny. But what Bauer has done that interests me in this last gasp is he's taken away what has always been the number one line of defense for the 30 teams, which is we don't want this POS on our team because he is still a POS and he's acting as though we didn't do anything. So this last, ga last gasp of Trevor Bauer, and then the show's starting, I'm going through it with Coca, and I realized that there's one more gasp so his apology tour is the second to last gasp. There's one more. His agents could go to teams and say, Trevor Bauer wants to play for you and he's willing to be paid the minimum. Because at 20 million or 30 million a year, easy. Add that to the list. There's no fit, not value. But at the minimum, a starting pitcher of Trevor Bauer's quality, at the minimum, that's hard to find. So if he were to take that away from teams, his price point, and he's taking away the fact that he's never apologized, then we're gonna see what happens. Given all of this, my wait to see about Trevor Bauer stands, and it still stands, he will not throw a pitch at the major league level in 2024, just like I said he wouldn't in 2023. There is no team who is going to sign Bauer because this last gasp was not good enough. Starting pitching, as you know, is critical in major league baseball. There is a dearth of it, even though five and dive may get Blake Snell 200 million even though having pitchers go three times through the lineup is looked at as analytically incorrect. For some reason, and I couldn't agree more, starting pitching is what all front offices crave, regardless of its importance in the media or even the front office, what they claim, everybody's always looking for starting pitching. When the Boston Red Sox traded Chris Sale, we covered that I don't remember when that trade happened, Coca, but one of the shows since the break, we talked about the Chris Sale trade. And what we said was, it was a very interesting move by Atlanta because they were getting Chris Sale's money paid. They did give up Vaughn Grissom, but at the end of the day, if he can be Charlie Morton, great. If he can't, and he is either a POS, bad in the clubhouse, or doesn't perform or gets hurt, just jettison him. And it made absolute sense for me. And Alex Anthopoulos is a GM, one of the most respected in the game, one of the best in the game. I'm in like Flynn. And then yesterday I got a text alert that the Atlanta Braves had signed Chris Sale to a contract extension. And I nearly fell off my couch. The facts are that Chris Sale was going into the last year of his deal and now the Atlanta Braves decided that they were going to give him a deal that starts this season, ripping up his old contract, starting this season, going for two years plus a club option, guaranteeing him $38 million. 
he hasn't pitched an inning for the Atlanta Braves. He has not spent one second as part of the Braves organization inside the Braves clubhouse. He has not spent one second with Alex Anthopoulos or Terry McGurk or Brian Snitker or any of the other leadership people with the Atlanta Braves. What would be the purpose of this extension? Ah, it saves the Braves money this year. Nope, that's not the case because the Red Sox sent $17 million with sale as part of the trade, and that's what sale was getting. There was a cash component and a deferral component to the Red Sox deal. Now they've changed it. He's getting all the cash this year, but it's all coming from the Red Sox. So that can't be the reason. What the Braves would have you think is that the reason they gave him $17 million of more guaranteed money is that they got another year of control. That's the thing that all the people use in the media. This player now is under contract with this team and there's an extra year of control. He's got four years of control. That's fine to have control over a player. But I ask you, when it comes to a free agent with an absolute checkered last four years, a guy who can't stay on the field, don't you bring control into this conversation. Control is what we talk about when you acquire a pre-arbitration eligible player and you get him through arbitration because a player needs to spend six years in the big leagues before becoming a free agent. Reminds me of my biggest pet peeve when teams would sign a young player to an extension. Uh, excuse me, 4869. Start that over, Coca. It makes me crazy when teams announce that they've signed a young player to a five year contract. And then it would be reported by the media oh, look, this team is signing its players, it's keeping its players. But all they're doing is guaranteeing cost in arbitration. They're not taking away free agent years in the case of a guaranteed deal prior to free agency. They're only guaranteeing that the player knows what he's gonna get paid. It's cost certainty. That's all it is. But when you've got a player who's already gotten his free agency, it is often described in the media that you are gaining a year of control when you sign a player who's a free agent. But that's not how we say it inside front offices. When you sign a player, when Otani was signed for 10 years, the Dodgers aren't sitting in their meeting and saying, hey, we've got Otani under control for 10 years. You don't talk that way. It's the wrong nomenclature. When you extend Chris Sale, you don't say that, oh, we have an extra year of control. When you extend Tyler Glasnow the way the Rays did, let me remind you about the player, Tyler Glasnow, who's now in the Dodgers. He had Tommy John surgery, and he was given that two-year contract by the Rays that was for his last year of arbitration and his first year of free agency. And when you sign it prior to the last year of arbitration, then you get to say, we've signed this player and we have gained a year of free agency. Not control, we've gotten a year of free agency. So when you sign a player the way the Braves had, where you sign an Austin Riley and you, you sign him through arbitration and you take away two or three years of his free agency, the way internally that's discussed is, hey, we've got him locked up through his first three years of free agency. 
we've gained three years of free agency. You don't say we have nine years of control. So Chris Sale, that can't be the reason. You got an extra, the Braves got an extra year of control. Then we learned what the reason may be. And this is something that many front offices do, but I didn't think the Braves did. If, if Chris Sale can be what he was, then he may be our next Charlie Morton. That's a tough thing to argue to an owner when you're talking about what kind of money you're spending and who you're trying to bring on. When you're trying to repeat something, we would do that with closers with the Marlins. If you go back in my history, Coca, before we made the mistake of signing Heath Bell to that free agent contract, worst contract ever, well, tied for maybe the three worst. We had different closers, whether it was Armando Benitez, former Met, Joe Borowski, Leo Nunez, or Juan Carlos Oviedo. We just would have different guys coming in. And one of the reasons why we did that is it's very hard to think that what you've done that worked will not work again if you do it again. And it is one of the great pitfalls of my career. We succeeded in doing that, why don't we try it again? Except it's a different player. Trying to repeat Charlie Morton. Let's get a guy toward the tail end and let's bring him in and let's just see if he can anchor the rotation, back end, mid end, veteran presence. The problem is Chris Sale is not that kind of player. He's a 34 year old player who's not been performing at all. And you can say that he pitched last year, but I'll tell you that he was mediocre. He had a few good starts, who doesn't? So the reason I'm shocked that the Braves would do this is that next year, if Chris Sale has a good year, either bid for him or move on from him. But telling your fan base that we're at risk of losing free to free agency, we've got Strider, we've got now Morton's gonna retire, we've got now a bridge to when our other young starters are ready to go, so let's, confirm that we've got Chris Sale for another year. It makes no sense to me. I think it's gonna come back to bite him. I really do. But I guess we'll wait to see. All right. Does anyone know that yesterday was Thursday? Because Coca and I did not. For the last several Thursdays, we have been reviewing a movie from my top 100 list, which you can find on davidsampsonpodcast.com. And maybe I got screwed up because we had no Monday show, but I reviewed a movie yesterday, completely forgetting it was Thursday. And what I was told to review from the previous Thursday was Apollo 13, which is in my top 100. So my bad. When we come back, I'm gonna review Apollo 13, and then I'm going to generate a number so you know what the next top 100 movie is. And then we're gonna talk about a topic that, uh, I guess I'm surprised exists right now, but I didn't think that I that it would or that I should. And it is what's going on with Darvin Ham and the Los Angeles Lakers. We'll be right back. The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app 
and use code SAMSON. New customers can bet five bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SAMSON. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Quentin, Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson. Matthew Coca, today's Friday. Thank you for rating, reviewing. Please engage with us through davidsampsonpodcast.com, through our YouTube channel, Nothing Personal with David Sampson. We are trying to come up with a merch drop for February. We've gotten some really interesting ideas, including several of you who want children's clothing and children's sizes, more than several. So that's something that we're going to think about doing. And we're trying to think about what our next design is going to be for our next drop, how we're ever gonna, ever gonna match horse hockey and no chance toilet pants, I'm not sure, but it won't be for lack of effort. All right, Apollo 13. Is there a more, what line, this would be a good top five list, Coca. And I, I, I guess I could do it off the top of my head. Lines that are associated with movies that come from movies. Let me say this way more clearly because I'm doing this off the top of my head because we're live. What line is said by more people not knowing what movie it's from that has become part of everybody's everyday vocabulary? How many people don't know that Houston, we have a problem comes from Apollo 13? I'm just wondering, or does everyone, Coca, do you think everyone knows that? Because I do not. Apollo 13 is about a the Apollo mission to the moon that ended up not making it to the moon. It stars Ed Harris. There's so many quotes from this movie that I love. From a standpoint of status, can we say what's working on the ship? When he pours all the stuff onto the table and says, we've got to fit this into that. The excitement of them being saved. Kevin Bacon, Gary Sinise, the late Bill Paxton, you may know him from Titanic, Twister, and of course, Tom Hanks. In one of his best performances in one of the best movies, 
And I'm gonna flex a tiny bit here because one time when we were playing the Astros, we were invited by Terry Verts, the astronaut who was on the International Space Station. We did a sit down with Terry. He's a good friend of the show, very loyal to the show. And he is a remarkable man. He's an astronaut. We got a behind the scenes tour in Houston of NASA. And I must tell you, it's cool. And what's cool is thinking about that we're trying to explore something that I'm not sure we were meant to explore and I'm not sure what the end game is. Everybody trying to go to Mars, trying to go to the moon, trying to figure out, are we trying to find another earth? Are we trying to see if there's life? Are we trying to see if we can get some elements, get some energy from another place? Maybe that's the point. Terry and I have had funny discussions about this. The International Space Station does amazing experiments. That is very worthwhile. They're trying to improve the quality of life for people living on Earth. But in terms of just going places, the reason the first, in my opinion, the reason people started going to the moon to start with is that in the middle of the Cold War, hey, look at us. It's like a, I was gonna say a BD contest, but that's not very nice of me to say. But it's like a contest where people are saying, hey, I can go to the moon, you can't. Who's gonna get there first? The movie Apollo 13 will have you engaged from minute one to minute 123. I think it's two hours and three minutes. I have watched it so many times. I did watch it again when we did this last two Thursdays ago. And I'd forgotten. I'd forgotten how emotional it was, even though you know how it ends. And that's the sign of a great movie to me, when you know the end and it doesn't matter. All right, number generator, because we got to get to the Lakers. One and one, but I'm going to put in 100, and I'm going to hit generate. Here I go. Generate. What do we got? Coca? 71. What's 71 on my list? What am I watching next week? We are watching. Wait for it. No way. We've already done it. It was Inception. What are the odds that I would hit 71 again? All right, I'm going to generate again. Here we go. Generate. What do we got? 92. 92 will be the movie I'm watching. I feel like we're playing bingo. 9-2. What is it, Coca? It is... Yes! I'm so happy. Continental Divide with John Belushi and Blair Brown. Funny Continental Divide story. I watched it. I have it in my library on Apple. And I watched it maybe a month ago, not even. And at the end, I said to myself, I don't know that I'll ever watch this in my life because I'm having a lot of age issues where I feel like I'm getting old and I'm so much death around me. I feel I'm at the end, which I'm not. I'm totally healthy, though I'm going to the doctor again soon because I like going to the doctor on a weekly basis to make sure that it's hypochondria and that's it. I mean, eventually I'm going to be wrong, right? But so far, so good. But now I get to watch it again. Continental Divide. You may want to check it out. I can't wait to review it. I can't wait to watch it. I'm going to watch it today, Coca. All right, let's talk about the Lakers. Did you see? Frank Vogel is under pressure as coach of the Lakers. He was uh, with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, and all of a sudden, there was a problem with Frank Vogel, and that was the end of Frank Vogel. Darvin Ham gets brought in, and everyone said, oh, did LeBron make that coaching decision? 
LeBron's the jam of the team. Was this done not? Did LeBron want Lou? How did, what's going on here? And I told you at the time, and I stick to that, that Darvin Ham is the coach of the Lakers because LeBron James wanted Darvin Ham to be the coach of the Lakers. Not more than a month ago, the Lakers were sitting pretty and raising ridiculous banners as winners of the in-season tournament, celebrating with champagne as though they had actually won something that matters. Wait till the ring comes. No one cares. Now, I thought it was exciting. I thought the games were good. I thought the courts were ugly. It didn't matter, win, lose, draw, whatever. You get a trip to Vegas, you get 500 grand, move on. The world championship, that's all that matters. Since the Lakers won the in-season tournament, what are they, two and eight? In their last 10, they're not even, they're number 10 in the Western Conference, maybe in the play-in tournament at best. And then it happened. There's word out of LA, of course, out of sources, I wonder who those sources are, that there is a growing disconnect between Darvin Ham and the Lakers locker room. And this stems from the disjointedness around the rotation and adjustments. And this is per a story on The Athletic, which of course, if you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, you should be, it is well worth it. They do amazing deals and you get to see writers who are writing for all different sports. Don't worry that it got sucked up by the times. It is still a great, great quality, great quality reporting and stories. But where would they get the story about the growing disconnect between Ham and the locker room? What's the purpose of putting that out in the media? If you are LeBron James, is there a purpose? And I've been thinking about that in preparing for today's show. And I've come to the conclusion that there isn't. Because LeBron James knows better. He's been around the block. What is the advantage of putting pressure on a coach? The advantage is when you feel as though that you have an underperforming team and that a different coach would make the difference. And you want that coach to be let go so you start leaking things about problems in the clubhouse, problems with the coach, all of a sudden the ball starts rolling and then you get a firing and then you get to hire someone else who's your guy. But Darvin Ham is already LeBron James's guy. And LeBron James looks around the Western Conference and do you think he's delusional enough to look around and say, wow, we're as good a team as the powers in the West? I'm not even sure he can say we're as good as the Sacramento Kings. I don't think they are. He may be able to say we're as good as the Warriors and the Suns, and that used to mean something. Not anymore. Are they as good as the Nuggets in a seven-game series? No chance toilet pants. Is it Darvin Ham's fault? LeBron James knows better. When he was younger, I would excuse it. But since he's been in charge and control, does he not realize that his hand-picked coaches, none of it matters if his hand-picked personnel on the team aren't good? and don't work together and just simply can't get it done? He's too smart to think that a change of coach right now is gonna make a difference or that a leak is gonna do anything other than be divisive. It's not gonna be additive. It'll just be subtractive. It forced Darvin Ham to meet the media and have to talk about the things that are happening with the Lakers. We need guys to step up and play better. 
The reason we sign them is because we know what they can do. And so you got to come with that confidence each and every night and you got to fight through it. So Darvin Ham is saying the reason they're not winning is the players. The players are saying the reason they're not winning is the coaches and not knowing the rotation. And the front office and the owner, Jeannie Buss, must be thinking to herself, I am completely screwed. My new happy marriage to Jay Moore notwithstanding, this is a nightmare come true. And the nightmare is that when you don't have your coaches and your players on the same leak schedule, that's a problem. You would like them all to be leaking stuff about your front office. You want them aligned. Let them leak. Hey, we need, we need reinforcements. We're excited about the deadline. When a leak is coming about a coach or a player, you want that coming from the front office. You don't want to have something about a coach come out and then have the coach come out and say, oh, it's the players. Instead, what you want to have the coach come out and say is, this is just a stretch. We know how good we are. We've shown it during the course of the season. There's a lot of games left. My team and I do not have one worry in the world. We have all the confidence. That's how you need your coach to respond. And your coach responds that way when he thinks it's the front office who's doing the leaking and not the players. Because if he thinks it's the players doing the leaking, then he's gonna go out and he's gonna say, hey, it's them, not me. If both sides know it's the front office who's disappointed and upset, then it's very easy for Darvin Ham to come up and say what I would have wanted him to say, which is we're all together, everything's fine, everyone stay calm. So I'm very concerned about the Lakers and what their plan is, because you certainly cannot expect that they're going to fire Darvin Ham in the middle of the season. LeBron James has to know better. That's not gonna work. And another wasted season with LeBron, who is still one of the top 10 players in the league, with Anthony Davis, who's still one of the top 20 players in the league, another wasted season as they start losing the game to father time, not good. I wonder why they went at it that way. It makes no sense. All right, let's talk about what happened with the uh, Denver Nuggets last night. It's the nothing personal pick of the day. And I bet all of you thought you were about to go to 0-3. We had the Nuggets minus three. The Nuggets were down by 16, 17, 18 points in the fourth quarter, game over. All of a sudden, the Warriors couldn't score. The Nuggets couldn't miss, and it's a tie game. And all I'm thinking is, I can't lose here. If we go to overtime, I think the Nuggets are gonna win and cover. And if we don't go to overtime, I'm gonna have a push because it means there's gonna be some ridiculous three, but that's never gonna happen. And I'm watching, Jokic gets the ball, three dribbles, inside half court, flings it up in a way that is impossible to imagine. Bank shot in, final score, 127-124, Nuggets push. So we are 0-2 still, and I wanted to talk about my picks for the weekend because we have week 18 of the season in the NFL, but we're starting with an NBA pick. And I want to talk about the Brooklyn Nets. The Brooklyn Nets are playing the Oklahoma City Thunder. While you were sleeping or while LeBron was trying to figure out which coach he wants, he has to add the Oklahoma City Thunder as a team that's better than his team. 
and the Minnesota Timberwolves as a team that are better than his team. The Thunder are five and a half point favorites over the Nets. And the Nets were in the news yesterday because Adam Silver and Joe Dumars decided to use the Nets as an example of what they're trying to accomplish with load management. Load management is when you rest your players, the games are nationally televised, and then the broadcast partners get angry, and therefore the league gets angry because of what they're trying to negotiate with the broadcast partners. So the league steps up and says, you know what, we're gonna find teams if they don't play their players without good reason. And Joe Dumars made a big deal before the NBA season started, we did a segment on Joe Dumar's memo to the league where he outlined all the different rules and all the different regulations and how it's important for players to play 82 games. Meanwhile, all front offices and all players ignored that. But the Brooklyn Nets just got fined a hundred grand because on December 27th, they sat four players and then an additional three players only played the first quarter. So basically, it was Coca, Samson, Sneepy, Sleepy, Grumpy, and Dopey playing that game. And Joe Dumars said, we've been very clear with teams what we are trying to accomplish and what we'd like to see. And if I'm just cutting to the chase, if you're going to sit four starters at one time, that's going to violate the policy. So they fined him a hundred grand. Now, who gets fined? It's not the players. It's actually the owner. The owner is fined the 100 grand because what the league thought is that the basketball people wanted to sit players and do load management. But what the owner would do is say, hey man, I don't wanna get fined, you're playing the players. I have yet to come across an owner in decades of talking to owners who would say to a front office, hey, listen, no matter what, for this nationally televised game, I want you to play my guy. Hey, Jacques Vaughn, play these guys. It's not really how it works. And so finding an owner, $100,000, does Adam Silver go to bed last night and say, all right, we got it. We nailed it. No more problems with load management. Our guys are gonna play every day. Hey, Amazon. You sure, let's talk about the exclusive Thursday night window. Let's talk about the hundreds of millions of dollars we want because all our guys are playing because we find the Nets a hundred grand. It's like a joke. It's almost as big a joke as the $300,000 fine to Tepper. What's the difference? You wanna make a difference? How about 10 million and two draft picks? And then an entire appeals process where there's actually witness testimony where we get to hear why players are actually sitting. Teach me the analytics. Show me the injury. <sighs> Thunder five and a half over the Nets. All right, we've got games. That's Friday's game. Let's talk about Saturday and Sunday in the NFL. We are one week away from one of my favorite weekends. Maybe my absolute favorite weekend. I love, there's a lot of sports weekends that are really amazing but NFL wildcard weekend with two Saturday games, three Sunday games, and one Monday game, you're talking six games in three days, and they're all, you get, you don't have to worry about Red Zone Channel and watching 20 different games at once. You get to focus on one game and they're all playoff games. I am in. And what's cool about wildcard weekend is it's the first weekend of the playoffs. 
except certain seasons, week 18 is the first week of the playoffs. And that's a dream come true. It's like in baseball, when the last game of the season, there's a game that happens where if one team wins and the other team loses, that team can win the division or that team can be the wild card. And there's all these scenarios that can happen. It's way cooler in football when two teams are playing each other in week 18, and it's exactly like a playoff game. And that is what we have Saturday with the Indianapolis Colts and the Houston Texans. You may not like the opponents. You may not think it's good quality. You may think neither of them have a chance to ever win the conference or make it to Vegas to play the Super Bowl on February 11th. Viva Las Vegas. But it's a playoff game nonetheless. If it were a wild card game, you'd be all stoked for it. This is like a wild card game. If the Colts win, they're in. If they lose, they're out. If the Texans win, they're in. If they lose, they're out. That's March Madness, folks. We're taking the Colts plus one and a half. I just like taking the points in this in this instance because there is something uh, I just would rather be on the underdog side. So please do that in this playoff game. Take the Colts plus one and a half. Then on Sunday, a lot of interesting games. I was looking at the Bills Dolphins. I just don't feel good about the Dolphins getting points at home. I don't feel good about the Bills giving points on the road. Great game. Bills win. They win the AFC East. Dolphins win. They're the two seed and the winner of the division. If they lose, they're the seventh seed or the sixth seed. But I was focused on Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield has a chance to do what Tom Brady did to bring the Tampa Bay Buccaneers into the playoffs. And he gets to do it against the team that jettisoned him because he stunk. The Buccaneers are playing the Panthers. The Buccaneers are giving four and a half points to the Panthers. And for me, I'm watching Mayfield trying to clinch a division in the stadium where he was unsuccessful, trying to do something on a team where Brady, the GOAT, had done it, all against a team owned by that Tepper guy who has no interest in winning for either their coach or for their owner. To me, this is a three-star pick. I love this. Bucks four and a half over the Panthers. So those are the picks for the weekend. Enjoy. You've got Thunder five and a half over the Nets. You've got Colts one and a half getting one and a half. And then you've got Bucks giving four and a half to the Panthers. So before I say goodbye, I want to circle back to something that we started the show with. And I was thinking the way our show works is that as you know, I only have a rundown in front of me and I'm just talking to you for 45 minutes and I appreciate your time. I was thinking about the Trevor Bauer situation even as I was talking about other topics. And I wanna close with this to make sure people understand very clearly what my point of view is. I am not opining on whether Trevor Bauer was charged or not. He wasn't charged. I'm not opining on whether Trevor Bauer did or did not do something with or without consent. I have my views. I am not telling you that what Trevor Bauer did is lascivious and prurient and disgraceful and disgusting. I'm making the point with the beginning of our show that what Trevor Bauer is doing now is trying to eliminate excuses that teams have been giving him and his agents about why he's not being signed. 
So do I think that his apology tour is done because he's actually apologetic or because he actually feels the way he's saying he feels? Absolutely not. Do I think it's going to work? Absolutely not. These teams look at players, they look at signings, they put their roster together, and it is very easy to say to Bauer and to any of his agents or representatives or anyone in the union, it's just business. Go back to Japan, Trevor. This is nothing personal. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.